what is the biggest challenge? I think it's that plus the combination of everything I just mentioned. Interest rates are going to go up. I would say don't panic. I think it's going to be an opportunity to, to buy more. That makes more sense anyways. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby. Well, here we are, episode 200, 200 amazing shows with amazing investors. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for binging on these, but I can tell you ultimately it is great to be able to give back. And, you know, it's one thing to do your deals and it's one thing to achieve some of your goals, but it's another thing to be able to help somebody else get there. And this is really ultimately why I wanted to do these podcasts, to be able to provide insights, provide information, provide motivation to you, because if I can do it, there's no reason why you could not do this as well, why you could not leave your nine to five job early, why you could not replace your income with cash flow the options are limitless. And many times where I've had these amazing investors on the show, they've provided so many great insights and there's so much information. And so I want to thank everybody who was a guest on the show so far. And I want to thank you as well for tuning in, for listening, for your questions, for your engagements. And today's show is me in the hot seat. I had Aisha and Aisha decided to switch roles with me and offered to have me answer questions. I had no idea what questions she was going to ask, but lots of great questions and lots of great insights for this podcast. I really enjoyed it. Aisha is, is not only my wonderful assistant, she is also my business partner. We are working on a few projects together, one business being Sell a Rent Stay and another business, we are actually creating a fun YouTube show called The 5-Minute Real Estate Investor, where you get to ask your questions and we answer them in five minutes or less. So a few cool projects coming up as well. I hope you guys enjoy this podcast where, you know, I had no idea what she's going to ask me. And so I was, uh, you know, able to share some responses and, uh, and some answers to some of her questions and maybe some of your questions that you had along the way as well. Before we get into the podcast, I do want to take a moment though and bring in Dahlia for the tip of the week. Dahlia, over to you. Hi, I'm Dahlia, founder of Streetwise Mortgages. And in the next set of episodes, starting with today's, I will share with you how to align financing with your chosen investment strategy. When it comes to mortgages for real estate investors, it is important to obtain the right mortgage product given your plan for the property. Today, I will go over financing for new construction properties. If you plan to invest in a new construction condo or a freehold and you're buying it directly from the builder, you typically wait for several years until that property is ready. Although you may get pre-approved through a mortgage broker or your bank at the time you sign the contract with the builder, that approval is not considered firm. Fast forward a few years later, if your income changes or for any reason you no longer qualify, that approval becomes null and void. To mitigate the risk of this happening, I invite clients to speak with the lender at the builder's site for their approval and to also ensure that the lender has waived all conditions so that this approval becomes firm. There are also a few lenders on the street that would do the same. This will give you the peace of mind that you got an actual approval lined up regardless of what happens between the time you sign the contract and the time of closing. 
Having a firm approval does not mean that the rate is locked though. You will have the option to lock the rate within 90 days leading to closing based on the prevailing interest rates at the time. Another consideration on a new construction property is that the property may be worth more at the time of closing compared to what you've purchased it for. Many investors want to tap into that equity. One thing to remember is that the lenders always lend based on the lower of the appraised value and the purchase price. So on a new construction, they will go by the purchase price even if the property appraises for more at the time of closing. You cannot turn around a day later and refinance the property to tap into that equity. But here is what you need to watch for and keep in mind to set yourself up so that you can access this equity at a later point. Firstly, I suggest that you take a variable rate mortgage going into the deal because in order to tap into this equity in less than a year, you often have to switch lenders. The lender who originally financed the deal for you would not consider an equity takeout so soon after. Often they want to see at least a year before tapping into that equity. Some lenders may make exceptions and allow it in six months, but to keep your options open, I recommend taking a variable rate so that you can switch lenders if you want to tap into that equity sooner. If you recently closed on a new construction property that was valued at a higher amount than what you purchased it for, and you're looking to explore your options to tap into that equity effectively, contact our team at info at streetwisemortgages.com. Cheers to your success. Awesome. Dahlia, thank you so much. Guys, Streetwise Mortgages have helped me tremendously. Reach out to Dahlia and her team so that if you have any questions or you need a consultation, they can do that for you. And so thank you for tuning in. Thank you for episode 200 and for being awesome and writing to me and messaging me, asking me questions, letting me know how you're doing. I love to hear from the listeners. I love to hear from you guys on your progress and what you've been accomplishing along the way. And, you know, this is what we do, what we got to do. Because I, I can tell you these podcasts, they take time, but it is all well worth it. Because ultimately, if we can make more successful investors be able to leave their nine to five job and have that freedom and reach their goals, whatever those are, that's why we do what we do. And so thank you for tuning in. Let's, uh, let's get on with the show. 200. Welcome back. It's Sarah Larby. You are listening to Where Should I Invest? Episode 200. I can't believe it has been 200 episodes. It has come a long way since 2017 when I first started. And we are going to reverse the tables today. Aisha, my business partner, wonderful helper, assistant. I mean, I feel like you're sometimes you can be my mom as well, <laughs> is going to be interviewing me and I actually have no idea. She's like, Sarah, do you want to know what the questions are going to be ahead of time? I said, absolutely not. You know, just uh, put me on the hot seat and let's see what happens. Awesome. I am so excited to be here and so excited to be included in your 200th episode and so excited to sit down with Sarah Larby on the Sarah Larby podcast, Where Should I Invest? to find out more about things that we don't know about Sarah. So, for me, the focus of this podcast is to really learn and dig deep and understand Sarah's mindset. You know, we talk a lot about real estate. We talk a lot about strategies, how people became successful in the tangible sense. So how they were able to scale, how they bought their first property. 
But when I talk to someone like Sierra, my biggest question is, how do you get there in your mind? You know, how did you one day wake up and say, I'm not okay with working the nine to five? And not just the financial aspect of it, of like, I want to be financially independent, but a lot of us want that, but only some of us have been able to do it. So what differentiates those who dream and think and hope and those who actually do? So I'm sitting next to someone who actually has done, and I know it's not easy, and she thinks she doesn't work, but she's got <laughs> no time in her schedule to even book a meeting. So I know how hard she grinds personally. So let's start there. Let's talk about, you know, in your opinion, what was your mindset when you first decided you wanted not only financial freedom, but, you know, freedom of life in general and, and what's your mindset sort of today on that? Yeah. I mean, great question. I will say this. We just started cracking a bottle of wine. My favorite wine, by the way, which is Robert Mondavi private selection. It's verbal, uh, bourbon barrel age. So we are going to be sipping on the wine as we answer the questions, but I guess to answer your first question, you know, what got me thinking this way, I don't think I actually always thought this way. I think it actually took me a while. I was, you know, I was not financially savvy. I didn't really have people around me that taught me this from an early age. Um, but I will say my parents were entrepreneurs, so they weren't necessarily employees. So I think when I first started having ideas of, you know, doing real estate and, and thinking outside the box, it was always very supported, which I think I got very lucky because they weren't saying, hey, just get a job and, and work forever. You know, my background, I mean, originally I started off going to school for nursing, finished, graduated and did my RN exam and passed it and, and graduated with honors. And to be honest, I was miserable the entire time because I knew this was not my calling. And, uh, you know, my, my uncle used to work at Xerox and I said, well, you know what? He looks like he's got a nice car, a nice house, a nice life, a nice lifestyle. Maybe I should go work at Xerox myself. And so I applied at one of the Xerox locations. I actually didn't get the job. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try to apply at a different Xerox location. And they hired me and I grinded it and I just did what I needed to do. I'll tell you. It was, it was all pro probably going back to school again. When I factored it in, I made like $5 an hour. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I had that first year won the rookie of the year award, but I'll tell you it, it was activity, 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 activity. It would be 5 PM and I'd still be cold calling. It was hundred percent commission. And I'll tell you, even though I didn't make a lot of commission, this was back in 2009 when there was a lot of stuff going on from an, econ like an economy standpoint you know, everything that was happening in the US, I think we're scaring a lot of people in Canada. It was a very hard time to sell photocopiers. But I figure, you know what, I, they gave me a chance. I need to do what I need to do from a high activity standpoint, and I'm going to learn how to do it. And so I had the most transactions out of everybody in that office for the first year. I got a really cool trip to Iceland, even though I didn't make money, I learned a ton. And then moved up my way from there, worked at Syntas, you know, a few other companies. I won't necessarily mention all the names, but at some point I realized that I was working and I was working and I started, you know, making some good money and I was spending it just as, as quickly as it was coming in, it was coming out. And then some people know this, but you know, I went to the bank and the bank's like, Hey, what are your assets and what are your liabilities? And 
what does that look like? I'm like, I don't even know what those words mean. You know, can you explain it to me? And I had nothing to show for the years that I had been working. And Matt, my spouse, when I first met him was $15,000 in debt, living in basement of a triplex with a roommate's and so we, you know, we, we figured we probably needed to make some changes at that point in time. So it was literally just going back and figuring out how do people become wealthy? I think that was a wake up call I needed, knowing that I'd been working for a few years, Matt had been working for a few years longer than me, and we had nothing. So from there, you know, I started figuring out how people become wealthy and how do they retire early. And I just actually became obsessed with it and started learning about it. And then I'm always big on action taking and activity and and that kind of stuff. And even though, you know, when I worked at Xerox and I was cold calling nonstop and I was making phone calls, I was door knocking, I was doing meetings. I had high activity. I think it's very similar the way that you do things in, in a job as well as how you do it in real estate. And real estate comes with doing things and taking action and making things happen and, and being high activity along the way as well. You've done a lot. But one thing I really want to emphasize is you were happy at the job you left, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's key. Like for me, the fact that you were happy at the job you left, you were telling me, you know, you, you loved your supervisor, you, you had a great position, you were making six figures plus, like you were comfortable, you were not struggling to pay the bills. So how did you get to say, okay, I'm working every day, I'm working nine to five, I'm going to come home. You know, I've done enough today. Like I worked eight hours today. I've done enough. I'm making good money. I'm comfortable. I can pay my mortgage. I can buy my things. What was that where you're like, I need more. I'm going to come home then after I work all day and study, or I'm going to come home and I'm going to analyze properties and I'm going to come home and I'm going to, you know, like read a book about how to get the mind drive to get where I want to go. Like what Mm -hmm. was that fire under your butt? You know, like for me, it's my kids. For me, I know that yeah. I, I have to feed other people and I had to find a way to spend time with family and to have that freedom. And it's like, there, there's no choice in that. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not in that spot where I was comfortable to say, you're, you know, you're comfortable where like you can afford all the things you wanted. You could, right? Mm-hmm. At that point, but you still had that fire. So where did that fire come from? How do other people get it? And what did you tell yourself to say, I'm going to come home after eight hours of working, probably more hours, actually, probably work knowing you (laughs) and like then did more. Like, how did you push yourself and, and make it happen? Yeah. So many great questions. So I will say, you know, my last five years, I I worked at Lavazza before that it was Mars drinks and I had an amazing boss and I actually just had him on my podcast recently, Dave Pitchner. Amazing. And that was in 2015 that I, I had started that job, but I'll tell you, you know, the two jobs, and it was always in sales. I've always been in sales, but the two jobs prior, I was actually miserable going to work because I, you know, the, the managers, I, I think didn't, they, we didn't see on the same level. I mean, I, I, you know, I have to be careful with what I say, you know, some of them were great, great people and, and whatnot, but it, it just wasn't for me. And I think that there were times in the past prior to that, that I had left six figure jobs because they didn't treat me the way that I wanted to be treated or respect me the way that I want to be respected. You know, there were some, some bosses that if you weren't filled and you didn't have your team full, they wanted you to work on a Saturday to come in on the morning. And some of them were very micromanaging where they would make you call them at eight o'clock in the morning from the office number to make sure that you were in there. And, and there were some situations that I'm like, I never, 
I never would want to lead a team that way. It is what it is. Look, you know, but I'll tell you that at those moments, that's the stuff that you never want to go back to. Mm. And that's when I started thinking there is gotta, there's gotta be another way. So 2013 is when we bought our first property and I've left these six figure jobs without having necessarily a backup in place. I, I left because I, I didn't, for me, culture was is so important. Mm-hmm. Your team, your manager, respect, that is so important. I, I don't want to be stressed out on Sunday, wondering how Monday is going to be and what kind of BS I'm going to have to deal with. So I've left six-figure jobs in the past and you know, I, I worked my way up. I didn't always make six figures. I made $5 an hour. <laughs> I, at some point, I'll tell you my first year at Zox, I think it was with the amount of hours that I was putting in. Anyways, long story short, Matt was telling me to go back to nursing and work in a hospital because I would do better. I'm like, you know what, one day I'm going to make more money than you. So like, you got to just, you got to trust me and, <laughs> you know, thank you for, for helping and, and covering the majority of our bills right now. <laughs> one day the tables will change. And then I met Dave at a prior, um, when I was working at my prior job and I, I was leaving that prior job regardless. I ended up giving him a call and I say, Hey, you know what? I'm just going to give my, I'm going to be resigning. I actually had a, a completely different job. I was going to had that lined up. And he's like, Hey, let's go, let's go for coffee. Let's talk. And he ended up hiring me. And I, I will tell you that was a great decision. And I was already in real estate at the time that that was in 2015 that I started at, at Mars drinks. But you know, from a culture standpoint, it was amazing from a management standpoint, it was like, he was actually a true leader. And I think, you know, it was, it was great for me to be able to do both. You know, I was working during work hours and then in the evening and on the weekends, like I wasn't so stressed about my day to day at that point anymore that I was really able to focus like, yeah, it's a ton of time, but I was also able to focus and, and, you know, continue making, making moves and, and buying properties. But the, the fire under my ass part <laughs> was because of those situations from the past where I've, I was just so stressed out with my prior companies. And I'm like, I just don't even want to be here. And there are many times I would come home and I would be crying because like, the bosses would like yell at me for no reason. And long story short, they had reached out down the road and, and apologized. And one of, one of them actually even called Matt and apologized. And it is what it is. Look, everyone's, everyone makes their mistakes along the way. And, but that's, that's what forced me to say, I don't want to be working for somebody else forever. And that, w- that was already ingrained before the last five years. But I'll tell you, if you can find a company that supports you and supports your goals and your vision, I was always very open, Dave, about real estate and my goals. And he was always so supportive and it's so cool. If you guys watch his, listen to his story, he's, he's bought a bunch of properties on his own and his life has changed dramatically as well. Thanks to that as well. But it's, it's consistency, right? If you have the fire under you and you let it burn out, then you're not going to go as far as you can. You got to keep it consistent. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. This week's podcast is brought to you by usproperties.ca. Are you looking to invest in turnkey U.S. real estate that provides exceptional cash flow and appreciation? If so, reach out to James at james at usproperties.ca or visit the company website usproperties.ca for more information. And now back to the show. And what I really love about that is that you never... Like, I know you Googled like how to be rich, but never once have you been like, well, I just wanted more money. I wanted more money. Right. And I think when we look at opportunities, like, like a look at opportunities, like not about making the most amount of money, you know, you're going to get that opportunity if you're looking for ways to improve your life, make life better, 
enjoy life more freedom of time like i think one of the biggest influences you've had is like taking that may to september for yourself and knowing like that's what you want because if this is your last year on the earth or next year's your last year on the earth and you just spent the last two years simply grinding and spending no quality time with family and friends and you know things like that then what's the point Mm -hmm. absolutely and and i think you know everyone's going to have their different different version of of what they want to do you know when i when i left my my nine to five in, it was October 1st, 2020. And, you know, they gave me so much respect that I gave them six months notice and six months heads up uh, to train, you know, the person to take over and whatnot. But October, 2020, I didn't really have any plans. Like, to be honest, I was, I was leaving. I'm like, you know what, with my midterm, short-term rentals, the long-term rentals, uh, you know, the appreciation opportunities will open. And I, I was okay with where my portfolio was at. And I'll tell you that, you know, sometimes when you have more time on your hands, more opportunities come, unique opportunities that you, you can do. But I didn't even really know what that next step was. I, I just knew that, you know, I was okay that I didn't have to work 16 hour days because I'll tell you one of the things that, you know, I think made me really busy. So I was working, um, you know, managing the distribution for, for, you know, at some points, part of the country and all of the country and reps and hiring and training um, and I loved it, you know, so I w- I'd wake up at four in the morning so I could go to the gym at 515 because I think that's always important. And then, you know, I'd be in the office. Sometimes I, I would be traveling, you know, Canada wide. And then in the, in the evenings, it was about whether it was the right club or the podcast or, you know, making deals happen, anything in between. I just, lo- I just loved it. Right. And so I think that's the difference is I, like, I, I've never... I, I, like, I, you know, some people are, some people are, I'm like, I'm not a TV person. I'm not a movie person. Like I love listening to podcasts. I love like that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I used to shut the radio off um, and just listen to audiobooks and podcasts. And you can learn so much along that, you know, just doing that for, for a certain number, number of years. And I think there was, like, what is it? Malcolm Gladwell that says 10,000 hours to become the expert. I'm like, I got to get my 10,000 mm-hmm. hours in. Right. And so you know, sometimes it was listening to podcasts. Sometimes it was networking and going out to events and going on to webinars. And like, yeah, it, it seemed like I was, I mean, you're going to say I was, I was working. I didn't feel like that was necessarily work. <laughs> you enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. You wanted to, you wanted to grow, you wanted to thrive. And that was my next question for, mm. for, in terms of self-development, you know, for someone not only just starting out in the industry, but someone who's seasoned, who, you know, you feel those roadblocks sometimes. You get so far, like, you know, even with me and you, we talk about things I want to do and, mm-hmm. and ideas I have. And it's always like getting past that, you know, analysis paralysis, you call it, and, and getting past that roadblock of, of just actually doing something and then also self-educating. And I think the more you educate, the less scared you are about something. And then the less scared you are about something, the less hesitant you are. And so I think you named a few really good uh, outlets, which is like podcasts and, mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. So, so if I was just starting out or even if I was seasoned, what are a couple of other ways you would recommend me self-educating and, how, you know, even be as specific as like, how much time per week would you suggest I carve that out? Because I know, if, I know you time block everything. I know if you're going to do something, you're like, it's in my calendar. And I, and I have tried to follow that because sometimes yeah. things don't get done unless I'm like, Hey, from three to four, I have to sit down and prepare for what I'm going to do in the next two days. And I, and I know that you do that. And I see that you're successful at it. Aisha so. has access to my calendar. Yeah. So she, <laughs> she sees exactly where I am, what I'm doing. I'm like, that's why she's not answering my texts. <laughs> 
but yeah so like what would you say about that about because you know you didn't go to school you, you know when I first wanted to go into real estate like full-time I thought oh I, I must become an agent but then after we started working together I was like I actually I don't need to become an agent there's so many other ways to become lucrative in in real estate and you know you've kind of showed me that so how did you start in self-education in terms of even maybe like specific people you found very influential in real estate, but as well as mindset, like who is that mm-hmm. person, maybe just one person in real estate and one person in, in outside of real estate that was like, you got, and you, they were talking, you were like, this makes total sense. And I know that I can transform how I think into that direction. And that's, what's going to help me, you know, be successful. Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll tell you in the beginning when I was, you know, first starting, I, I really didn't even know where to start. That's the thing. And I think back then there weren't that many networking groups. I mean, there's a ton now, a ton of, of opportunities, a ton of webinars, a ton of Canadian podcasts. But in the beginning I was watching and I was listening to Bigger Pockets. And, it, and, and prior to that, I was actually listening to Dave Ramsey, which is a whole, totally different, nothing to do with real estate. The you know? chef? No, no. The, the guy that does all the like, you know, you, 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 bring down your debt. Oh, that's cool. Not, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Dave Ramsey. <laughs> chef, you're, you're already thinking oh, about dinner. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. And then Susie Orman before that. But it's oh, like, I love her. Yeah. So, I mean, not necessarily real estate related, but, but the real, you know, the real education was actually from bigger pockets. And I didn't even know what I didn't know back then. And it was about, you know, what, like literally I'm like, okay, well we could flip, which I don't have time or the experience or the skill set to do back then. And, or we could be landlords. And we just started with a, a very simple bungalow that we rented to Matt's sister. That's how we got our, our start. Obviously there's stories about around that, but that's how we got our start. I, I think, you know, looking back at it, probably should have hired a mentor. I would have gone faster much faster. Mm-hmm. I have mentors today. I think, you know, when, when you don't know what you don't know, or you don't know where the information is, you know, that's one thing, but I'll tell you, there's, there's a ton out there today. And I, and I hired mentors actually once I left or as I was leaving and, and, and leaving the nine to five. Um, and I'll tell you that, you know, escalated a lot of what I've, I've even been doing to this day, but it's, there's, there's lots of options. I mean, you know, from a time standpoint and time block standpoint, I think it's just being in, in the corporate world for 10 years that we have to have a schedule. And, but I'll, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, you see my schedule now, but like, I, I don't mind filling up my schedule with podcasts or webinars or presenting or talking to people and helping others. I actually don't consider that work. And Aisha's like, you're always working. I'm like, I'm not always working. It's fun. <laughs> what else am I going to do? Just like watch TV. <laughs> But, but I also, I also do it on, on purpose to, to do as much as I can from October to <laughs> May so that I can enjoy the summer. Canada, you know, only has a few months of good weather. And since we have our cottage, uh, it just makes sense to go up there. And, you know, Matt's going to be taking a year off, which is exciting, mm-hmm. potentially longer. We'll see what happens. But uh, it's, you know, at the end of the day, life is short and I care more today I didn't always care about this, but I care more today about time and lifestyle, mm-hmm. much more than, you know, other, many other things. Mm-hmm. Well, I think two things interesting is that someone as successful as you still has reached out to a mentor. And I think there's something to be said about that because I think in some, in sometimes we feel like we only need a coach or a mentor 
to help us get on our feet. They're going to teach us a few things and we'll be on our way. And I think once you reach that realm of understanding that education, like it's like having a teacher, it's like going to school and, and you don't know. So you turn to the people that do know because, you know, they can guide you. Like, I feel like when I talk to you, it's like you're a, t- a walking encyclopedia on real estate. And I love that because I'm like, I can either Google it or bother Sarah and Sarah's faster. So I'll just ask her <laughs> because your brain can go into all the different areas of the experiences you've had. And like, you know, for example, when I started cottage shopping, I know you're seasoned and I'm like, you made me look at things I had never considered ever even talking to the agent that worked there in in the area or even having been in real estate a few years myself, it's like, you you know, having that coach and that mentor, I think is very key. And I think the emphasis and the value to education and not even just self-education where, you know, you can go on YouTube, but having that person to bounce ideas off of having that person to Mm -hmm. give you that guidance, like, this is a lot of people's, you know, it could be life savings or it could be their life dream to go into real estate. And it's a lot of money that people are putting on the table. So that, that very tiny investment into the education of having a mentor and having a coach or, you know, even, you know, taking classes or whatever, it's going to, in the grand scheme of things, make your whole journey faster. And the fact that you're still doing it today and you're still turning to people who have, you know, you have a, a decade of experience and still you're like, there's more, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And you, you said something, which I think is so key is like, I didn't know what I didn't know. And I think once you realize that, you know, nothing, you don't feel bad about learning new things. You're like, well, I don't know anything anyways. So I might as well learn as much as I can and not feel bad about asking questions. You know, there's no mm-hmm. bad questions. There's no questions where you should feel like, well, I should know this. Well, should you like, none of us are programmed with anything when we're born and we learn as we go. So it's actually a really good thing you're asking questions. Cause that means you you're trying to learn and you're trying to know, and you're trying to grow. And that comes to my other question, which is, is there something, a mistake or failure that had happened that, you know, you'd like to share with your listeners and, and, and sort of what you learned from that. Cause in real estate, we always love to talk about all the great things, mm-hmm. you know, we know that you're doing so many fabulous things, but anything that you failed at or that you, you wish you had done a different way or a big learning step came out of it that you, you know, gave you a different trajectory of your career or even just something that you learned that you could take with you as you went. Do we have a whole hour? <laughs> <laughs> so, so here, here's the thing and I'm going to share, I'm going to share a few things with you, but I will tell you that there's always going to be mistakes. There's always going to continue to be mistakes or things that you might want to do differently or things that you need to pivot on. But ultimately, like they're not, I don't look at them as failures. I look at them as, as opportunities to, to grow and be more experienced because if somebody has never made any mistakes, then they're probably not experienced enough. They probably haven't been in this industry long enough, but I think a big issue that I have with many people, they're like, oh my God, I failed at this, or I didn't do this. And I have many conversations where like, she's like, you know, or, or somebody I'm talking, you know, him or her they think that they failed at real estate or that they, you know, made a huge mistake and it's the end of the world. I mean, I don't know, like I'm a pretty chill person. Like, you know, I have a little temper, Matt sees it once in a while, you know, but I've never seen it. I I don't even believe her, but (laughs) I mean, I think probably just Matt, (laughs) but you know, aside, so aside from that, it's, it's about how you handle stress and how you handle problems. Right. That's a, that's a big piece because a failure or a mistake, you know, like, okay, here's, here's a bunch of examples. And, and it's, it's just about how you handle them. But we rented to Matt's sister. That was a big mistake. Ultimately, we didn't even screen her. Likely she wouldn't have passed the screening test. But one of the big mistakes that we made after that 
was we, we picked our tenants first and we picked tenants that were wanting to have a longer term stay. And in places like Texas or somewhere like Detroit, or I don't know, you never know somewhere where there's, you know, different landlord rules than, you know, and where you can increase rents every year to market is a different story. But in, in Ontario, what I didn't know what in the beginning was I should have read the residential tenancies mm-hmm. act and all the rules and regulations that come around it. And I think I would have picked my tenants very differently. And we, we've had a few close calls also where we gave somebody that had a sob story a chance. And that's always backfired on us. Luckily, you know, it, had, it didn't have to go through the board for months and months and months because I think ultimately, you know, we were able to pay them to just get out. But there were some close calls where it could have gone bad very quickly. So from there, from, from probably two or three mistakes and close calls, decided to just really like own down on tenant screening and ensuring that I have a process and I follow with a process. And, and I'll tell you that in the beginning, I also look for tenants that wanted to be there for a long time. And I still have tenants and they're amazing to this day in some of these properties, but they're paying so far below mm-hmm. rent. So I didn't really know how that whole system worked. And had I known, I probably would have done it differently. You know, things like, so that's the tenant screening piece. I mean, there's, you know, tons and tons of mistakes, but I'll tell you, you know, like even, even something like it cost us 20 grand to remove vermiculite asbestos and black mold out of an attic that, you know, we, we did an inspection, we couldn't get into the attic and, and the seller had tried to hide it. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, that was a shitty situation, but like that property, you know, tripled in value since then. So like, I'm not really complaining. And there's, you know, there's tons of mistakes, like, like a rookie mistake that I made not that long ago is I forgot to move the utilities so that they come to my actual house for one of the, my Airbnb properties. And they kept going to a different property. And I'm like, where are the utility bills? And then all of a sudden we had like, you know, two or three that were like, oh crap, we're like, <laughs> we're behind on these bills. And I totally forgot to transfer uh, some of the bills over, and, you know, it's like, and, and just, and you will keep making little things, you know, here and there and mistakes along the way. But I think it's just how, how you learn from them, how you handle it and, and going from there. But you know, don't let this stuff stress you out. Like there's, there's always problems all the time. Yeah. And if had you stopped with your first bad tenant, where would you be today? You would be right back where you had started. You wouldn't have. Yeah. And, you, and, and also like contractors I've, I've hired and fired a ton of contractors to find the right one. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's building the team, but even just, you know, questions to ask your contractors. Like I can tell you, we had a, a contractor we, you know, we used once they were fine. And then we used them a second time. And like my walls were actually crooked. And unfortunately I think he got into some drugs and uh, it was long story short. I'm not going to give too many details about that, but they ended up, throwing a rock in one of the windows, breaking a window because we fired them. Anyways, long story short, you know, there's always things like that, hiring the wrong people and building processes moving forward around that so that you can, you know, get the proper references, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've done, I've done my mistakes in the beginning where I've hired contractors from Kijiji. <laughs> you don't want to do that. So like, I can, I can keep going and going. I'm happy to share, but the, the way that I look at it is, you know, that is essentially to me, it's about, it's about the long game and all of these properties that I had tons of problems with, or that cost me extra, maybe an extra 20 grand of renos because I had to fire a contractor and start again. As an example, I have great ones now, but like you look at those properties today and you're laughing, right? That $20,000 extra mistake is really nothing in the, in the grand scheme of things. So then I look back and I'm like, was I really stressed about this? Like, you know, did I, did I make, did I make a big deal out about, about it? And you know, moving forward, 
should I handle it differently? Yeah. And I think, I think it's something to be said that like you just said, you recently made a mistake. So like even the most yeah. seasoned investor <laughs> and I makes continue mistakes. to make mistakes. Yeah. It's all good. It's all good. You know what? The less mistakes, the better, but you will always make mistakes. Even if I'm in this game for another 10 years, I will, I will keep making mistakes anyways. There's things you learn along the way. You can never know everything about this topic. It is just always ever changing. Yeah. And it's okay. And I think, you know, not letting that stop you, that fear of like that fear of failure. That's what it is. It's that fear of failure. It's you're right. It's not calling it a failure because it's not a failure, but that fear is what stops you. Because if I tell you the number of people I've talked to about real estate investing and all they keep saying is like, Oh, like, but we're not like you. Like we can't think like that. Or like, we just don't have the money. And I'm like, well, I also don't have the money, but I'm going to find the money and I'm yeah. going to learn the ropes and I'm going to make it happen because a lot of people are and the knowledge is out there and the information is out there. I just have to access that information and not be scared because what is the worst that could happen, right? Like what mm -hmm. is the worst that could happen? You're going to wake up and like lose everything. Not likely. And don't ever put yourself in that position. Always go with trusted guided advisors who will make sure you're not putting yourself in that position. And as long as you do that, like every decision you make, you're going to go to the trusted lawyers, the accountants, like people who have the knowledge that you don't have and spend that money. Cause that's, what's going to save you in the end. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And those professionals. 100%. So there's two more things I want to touch on before we run out of time. So I wanted to bring back, bring us back to, uh, we'll talk a little bit about real estate and then I'll, I'll end it with a little bit on your podcast, looking at the real estate industry, which is, probably the craziest that it's ever been at this, at this point in time. What is the, one of the biggest challenges you feel that the industry is facing right now? Well, if you would have asked me this three days ago, I would have given you a different answer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would have been inventory and shortages and inflation and lack of, of supply. And, and that still applies. That still applies. I think right now, and we're in what we're in mid-March. Yeah. We're keeping this mid-March 2020. To, to be honest, when the NDP and, and this, I'm going to go a little political here, the NDP and the liberals started becoming one, that is never a good sign for real estate investors. So what is going to happen? I don't know. Is it going to be good for us? Probably not. Am I freaking out and selling everything? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know, but I think the next two to three years, depending on what they pass and how this all pans out, I think is going to be, you know, I think it's going to be an opportunity to figure out, you know, what, what the next best moves are. But I think it's also going to be a little bit of a rocky next three years. How exactly? I don't know. I, I'll tell you at one point, the NDPs wanted to pass a bill, in a, you know, as an example for Ontario to be able to, um, when a tenant moves out, um, not be able to increase the rent back to market. And they wanted to pass that. I was, I can't remember what bill number that was, but you know, I, I remember, I remember that vividly. And then I remember when there's, there's just a few other things that they wanted to do from a, a federal, this is federally right now. I don't know what's going to happen provincially, but I think the next little while will be very telling. So what is the biggest challenge? I think it's that plus the combination of everything I just mentioned. Interest rates are going to go up. I would say don't panic. I think it's going to be an opportunity to, to buy more. That makes more sense anyways. And going in, in increases of 0.25%. I mean, that's like, what, $18 on every 100,000 or $13 on every 100,000, give or take. It's not, it's not much. Mm -hmm. It's not much. But here's the thing is we just bought three things in the last three weeks. 
three properties in the last three weeks. So there's still stuff out there. It's just, you need to, I think in this market, you can't just do buy and holds anymore. I think that there's some, some strategies that me personally, I find are a little bit risky being the buying pre-construction and only having the exit of assigning. I, I, again, everyone can do what they want to do. Not a strategy for me in a time like this, I would rather buy something um, and know what the ARV is going to be and have the control over doing the renovations. That's just kind of my strategy. So I'm, I'm doing more conversions, development stuff that I have full control over. But you know, when, when I hear of people buying 10 condos that they plan to assign and have no intention to close in a time like this, that scares me. Could they do amazing and you know, two years from now, assign it with no issues potentially. But I still think it's very, it's, I think for me anyways, that, that's a risky move. I'd rather buy something today and know that I'm not just planning to assign something or, you know, buy pre-construction. I'm not saying anything's wrong with that, but just make sure you can close on it or that you're going to, your intention is to close on it, not assigning it for hundreds of thousand dollars more because, you know, that's to me, it's a little bit speculative in a time like this. Yeah. There's so much going on, right? <laughs> and so many unknowns. And yeah. when people talk to me like, well, what do you think? I'm like, I literally have no idea because People are like, that doesn't make sense. I'm like, yes, it does. We got to refill our wine glasses. <laughs> Hang on, people. <laughs> As we talk about how real estate just doesn't make sense. But as Sarah has proven, she bought three properties last week. So I think what you're saying is be weary, pay attention, but don't be scared. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't sit on the sidelines for sure. Just mm-hmm. like pick your strategy that makes sense. I think from a, a buy and hold standpoint, for cash flow, it doesn't make sense anymore at this point. Buying 10 pre-constructions, hoping to sign it, I think that's that's high risk. Buying something and converting it where you're like six months in, six months out, and you're holding it and you know that there's gonna be cash flow. I I like those, the burst strategies in and out. I think those work really well. Rent to own can still work really well. You know, I just I, at some point, you know, in Alberta has faster markets than us, but at some point the markets will turn. I don't think it's gonna go down 50%, but we might have a 20% drop, which Really, ultimately, that's like, what, six months? <laughs> the last six months we lost, which is, which is not, not bad, ultimately. But a lot of people, if you look back in 2017, when Kathleen Wynn added the tax, and then we added the stress test, and there's a lot of people that were closing on these expensive properties, 1.5 million, and all of a sudden they had to come up with 100000 or $200,000 to make up the difference for that short. It was probably short-lived, like four or five months. Yeah. But a lot of people lost a lot of money in that um, in that category of pre-construction and all of a sudden for those three to four months, they were closing on it. And that value on those more expensive properties wasn't there. And then I looked at my properties even back in 2017 and 18 and nothing happened because I was buying the bottom third. I was buying, buying properties that cash flowed. So, you know, buy stuff that you can, you could ride the wave. If it goes up, great. If it goes down, you've got cash flow. you've got, you know, the, the tenants in there, and you've got, you know, an exit strategy mm-hmm. and hopefully you have another backup exit strategy. So this is really, you, you got to plan ahead and you got to think outside the box, you know, the cookie cutter deal or focusing on just one market, you know, may not work anymore mm-hmm. because of the inventory shortage. So you might have to cast a wider, wider net and look at what makes sense, you know, and originally I was doing single burrs and I was doing, you know, duplex burrs and then, and then triplex, but 
it, you know, in some markets, don't, those don't even make sense anymore. You've got to convert three to four units to make it cash flow. So you gotta, you gotta pivot with the times. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. I want to take a quick pause from the podcast to introduce you to some of my amazing contractors on this week's episode. I wanted to introduce you to Rob and Joel from White's Elm Design Build. And Rob and Joel just finished my major renovations on my latest Burlington project. And it was a full renovation and absolutely worth it. They've been super easy to work with. I wanted to give you guys some insights on some of the services that they offer their clients and they focus on Oakville to Hamilton and beyond, but they're really great. Like if you guys are ever in a property and you want to FaceTime or video call Rob or Joel, they can actually give you some insights on what to look for and also how much we are looking at renovations. Because if you're thinking about doing a flip or a burr project, the reno part is really important to get right to also figure out how much it's going to cost and what renos are going to be needed to get the actual maximum after repair value. So super important. They will gladly do these video calls or conference calls with you guys to give you some of those insights. They're really good at getting back to clients quickly. They can also do physical walkthroughs. If you guys are thinking about purchasing a property or you have it under contract, they can do that with you. They're super professional and uh, they've been very involved in my latest project and uh, really on the ball. So super easy to communicate with. They finished on time, on budget which is really important as we know. And they've got a whole team of trades. They line them up so that they're as efficient as possible. And they work with a lot of investors, but they also do some of the higher end flip types of projects too. So they work on everything in between. They're fully licensed, insured, WSIB covered. So feel free to reach out to them. They are able to be found at whiteelmdesignbuild.com. That is white elmdesignbuild.com or you can send them an email joel j-o-e-l at whiteelmdesignbuild.com or rob at whiteelmdesignbuild.com good luck on your next projects now back to the show yeah crunch the numbers and see what makes sense yeah and get good support yeah (laughs) okay i'm going to bring us back to your podcast just because we're almost finished here so You've been doing this podcast, 200 episodes, how many years? Started in 2017 when I went to see that wealth forum with Tony Robbins and I ended up accidentally walking into a podcast um, seminar thing. I love this story. (laughs) I didn't even know what I was walking into, but there's, uh, it was like breakout rooms and I've just picked one and ended up being somebody that was, it's called every day is Saturday. Can't remember what his name was. And he had a course for like 500 bucks. And, you know, I decided to pay for it. And since I paid for it, I did his course and I'm like, okay, well I paid for it. I might as well start a podcast. So it was, it was rough in the beginning for sure. I used to record them on my phone. You know, I feel sorry for, for any of you guys that had to listen to that sound quality. I apologize. Hopefully this, this sound quality is okay. We're recording a different way, but (laughs) it's, uh, you know, 2017 and I was editing my own. And I was uploading my own. I don't do that anymore, but I'll tell you for every podcast, it would take me four to five hours 
to do the back end stuff. Because well, we have a whole team now, right? We have a yeah. team that we all do it. For sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I became a master delegator along the years. Also something I've learned from you, which is a great, <laughs> great trait to have. So she did that. So you did the you did the class and then you started doing a podcast. And what was your goal? Like you were doing this and you what were you like, like what did you want out of it? What was the end result you were looking for? I think because I learned so much of my real estate from American sources and it is so different here. I just wanted to provide Canadianized content. That was the biggest thing. And I'm like, you know what? I don't know where it's going to take me, but there's no 1031 exchanges here in Canada. There is no like FHA loans here in Canada. Like this is all American stuff. There is no, you know, LLCs. It's a whole different ball game here. And that was really the concept of what I wanted to do. I wanted to educate people. And like, literally I came up with where should I invest? Like in two minutes, you kind of know me. Yeah, I, I kind of like to wing stuff <laughs> and just do it because that was the question I was getting from a lot of people. Where should I invest? I'm like, I'm just going to make that the title of my podcast. And that, and that just stuck. It, and it was like a two minute decision. I'm like, what do people ask me the most? That's it. That's what it was. That's it. And you've had, so you've had 200 episodes. That's 200 guests. If you could interview anyone living or dead, uh, like someone you haven't been able to, to get a hold of that's like, you know, who would that be? Oh, that's a good question. They don't have to be in real estate. It could literally be anyone you would love <laughs> to just pick their brain. <laughs> you know what? I actually would love to speak to my grandpa. He used to be a real estate oh. investor. Wow. And, you know, I think he just did it out of his goodwill. But I didn't know this because he died when I was, I was very young. So I only found this out like once I got into real estate investing. But he used to have like 10 properties in Quebec city. And he used to have like the hardware store and then he had all the properties next to it and he was doing it to help people. So they had a place to live. And I think that was really cool. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so, so, so it's in your blood. I like, guess it's in I my like blood. It's come around full circle because <laughs> even my dad was a real estate investor. He, he would never think of himself that way, but he had had a, you know, we had like bars and restaurants and he would always build like, he built like a 25 unit apartment building. But if you ask him, are you a real estate investor? He would have been like, no, but he was like, but he managed everything. He built it. He was the landlord. And then obviously jaded him because it was like so much work. But I feel like that part of him came out in me and I'm just sort of continuing it in a a better, easier less hands-on way. <laughs> I'm not going to be doing all the things he did. Yeah. You're, so, you're treating it as a business. Yeah. Right? So that's amazing. So you're, so you're grandpa. Okay. And where do you see this podcast going and where do you see yourself going in terms of educating, you know, educating in real estate? I mean, where I see going, I love, like, I love where it is right now. I mean, I think, you know, we've, we've been talking about you co-hosting with me mm-hmm. and taking some of it over while I'm on vacation from May to September. <laughs> so, so get ready guys. You're going to hear more <laughs> of Aisha and Aisha is, is also very humble, but she is a very successful real estate investor oh. and also my, my partner in a really cool business that we are starting called sell rent stay. And I think that is a cool new concept. So we are going to be sharing more on that, but uh, go to sellredstay.com and get added to our email list for more information. And then in terms of, you know, what else is next? I, I, I love just the lifestyle piece. So I think what else is next is, you know, how can people live a lifestyle and be successful in their definition? I think that's where, you know, Harry James, which was one of my mentors today, and I are going to be starting to, to be able to help more people with, you know, just their overall well-being and their lifestyle and, and everything in between. And so, you know, health, wealth, time for self, you know, the, the 
resort that we're building. We're going to do a retreat in August. Basically working on the resort is going to, is like one of those passion projects. I, you know, I don't know if I always wanted to have a resort, but it was an idea that came after I had some time to like reflect on what I wanted to do and what I wanted to buy. And not that the birth stuff is, is boring. I love it. I, I'll still keep doing it, but it just gives, it gave me an opportunity to do something different. And so, you know, if you are not doing anything in August and you want to come out and hang out, oh, the retreat, the retreats, oh. August 9th, 10th and 11th, I, uh, I am going to say this is going to be a retreat probably the best retreat ever. Cause yeah. you hear a lot of retreats, yoga retreats, this and that, but this is going to be like entrepreneurship. This is going to be real estate investors. This is going to be not only networking, but we're going to have a pontoon boat. We're going to have my chef from the cottage, Mark Brunet, who has done some food for you as well. I'll oh, tell it's you delicious. Yeah. One of the best chefs I know is going to do our food. We have a bartender bartending company and it's going to be something. So if you guys are interested then reach out to me, Sarah at sarahlarby.com for that. All right. So that's all my questions for you. And I'm glad we got to learn a little bit more about you and kind of get more advice and not only talk strategy, but talk mindset, because I think you can have all the knowledge at your fingertips, but if your mind isn't there, if you don't have that vision of what you want for yourself, not be afraid to break out of the box, not be afraid to get uncomfortable. You have to be afraid to get uncomfortable and know that you may not know what you're going to do, but guess what? You know that you want to do something different and to not be afraid. And I think one thing from you that I've learned is like, you just do stuff. And I love that about you because it's not, you're not, when I tell you I want to do something, you're like, yeah, go for it. It's not like you don't ask 150 questions, how I'm going to get there. You're like, you're going to figure it out. Just do it. And along the way, you're going to do all the other things you need to do to get there. And I'm like, yeah. And it, you know, it all makes sense. So thank you for sharing that knowledge with us and a little bit of your history with us and learning more about why you started the podcast. And Congratulations on your 200th episode. That is very exciting because you were my first influence in real estate investing. And I listened to you every time I sat in my car for a very, very long time. So you're a lot of the reason that I know a lot of the things that I do. And I wasn't afraid to sort of get more involved because I was able to attain that knowledge. And you made sense of things. You know, you sort of talk in a way where everyone can understand and you make, you know, goals seem a reality because of all the things you've done um, from where you were to where you are today. And you did it you know, yourself. So congratulations for that as well. Amazing. You know what? It's, uh, I love the saying it's ready, fire, aim. And I used to get reprimanded from these companies that I had to leave because they were so stressful to me. And they're like, you are a ready, fire, aim person. I'm like, I am. This yeah. is how I do yeah. things. <laughs> Where did it land? Okay. I'll figure that out now. <laughs> and it didn't work so well in some companies, but I'll tell you it works really well in this situation as an example because you'll, you'll make the mistakes and you'll learn from them. But if you don't take action, you are not going to be moving forward. So take action, learn along the way, make mistakes along the way, grow along the way. And 10 years from now, you will be so happy that you did it. That's right. Awesome. Aisha, thank you so much. It was a pleasure having the tables reverse and yeah. being on the hot seat. And I want to do it again soon. I feel like interviewing you has been a lot of fun. <laughs> awesome. And, and folks, you will hear more from Aisha. Aisha is going to be taking over my podcast for a little bit as well as I am enjoying my summers. And I, I want to thank you in advance for doing that no as well. <laughs> I'm going to have a great time doing it. Cool. Awesome. Thanks everyone for joining and see you next week. Bye-bye. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? 
I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time they all seemed very valid, but as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked, and also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.